Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and please forgive my voice today. I know it sounds a little off, but it is allergy season in the great state of Tennessee, and uh, there's not much I can do about it, so bear with me today. We got a packed episode for you today, which is very exciting, so let's get started with our In the News segment. Big news story of the past seven days. Allegedly, I mean, this is from Radar Online, so I don't know how reputable it is or true it is, but allegedly Rose Schlossberg, which is the eldest daughter of Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg, has decided to have a baby with her wife. So they're starting this journey, according to Radar Online, which is very exciting. So congratulations to her if this is true. Next up, this has to be covered. I'm not diving deep into this kind of narrative solely because it's fairly controversial. You guys know I like to keep things reporting on mostly just historical facts and not really opinion-based or anything like that, and it can get a little um, divisive, this topic. So I, I will tell you the headlines, and then you can kind of go along and do your own research as you will. But people reported that Robert Kennedy Jr. is leans into conspiracy that CIA was involved in Uncle John F. Kennedy's assassination. So he spoke out about this recently. Go check it out if you would like to read more about that. And last but not least, I thought this was really cool. Daily Mail says that John F. Kennedy signed baseball from 1961 South America tour fetches a whopping $167,000, making it the most valuable ball signed by a president ever. I wish I had $167,000 to spend on a baseball that was signed. I mean, that, that must be nice, but that is really cool. Now for our recommendation segment. Of course, then we would recommend it. Because of this week's episode, I'm recommending a book called Union Jack, John F. Kennedy's Special Relationship with Great Britain by Christopher Sanford. So I will link that in the description of this episode. Check it out. And for our inspiring clip of the week. One of the inspiring notes. Here's a clip of President Kennedy addressing Congress on May 25th, 1961. In conclusion, let me emphasize one point that we are determined as a nation in 1961 that freedom shall survive and succeed. And whatever the peril and setbacks, we have some very large advantages. The first is the simple fact that we are on the side of liberty, and since the beginning of history, and particularly since the end of the Second World War, liberty has been winning out all over the globe. A second great asset is that we are not alone. We have friends and allies all over the world who share our devotion to freedom. 
May I cite... May I cite as a symbol of traditional and effective friendship the great ally I am about to visit France. I look forward to my visit to France and to my discussion with the great captain of the Western world, President de Gaulle, as a meeting of particular significance, permitting the kind of close and ranging consultation that will strengthen both our countries and serve the common purposes of worldwide peace and liberty. Such serious conversations do not require a pale unanimity. They are rather the instruments of trust and understanding over a long road. A third asset is our desire for peace. It is sincere, and I believe the world knows it. We are proving it in our patience at the test ban table, and we are proving it in the UN, where our efforts have been directed to maintaining that organization's usefulness as a protector of the independence of small nations. And these... All right, let's get to our episode. I'm really excited for this one. It's so interesting to me. And with the coronation just happening and like, I don't know, I'm just, it was in the mood for this kind of episode. And Anya, who is my amazing head of research, as you guys know, is actually based in the UK. So she was excited about this episode and piecing it together. And I think it turned out really great. So we're going to talk today about UK and US relations during the Kennedy years. And I'll splice in some clips here and there. So don't be alarmed if you hear like a news clip just pop in. So be ready for that. Today's sources are BBC, History Press, Channel 4, Express, Independent, Irish Central, History Today, KennedyTrust.org. Here we go. So JFK was an Anglophile who had several links to the UK. He had lived there and been educated in the UK during his father's tenure as U.S. ambassador to the UK, which we have talked about before. And his university thesis, Why England Slept, examined British foreign policy in the years leading up to the Second World War. He even sat in the gallery of the House of Commons as Neville Chamberlain formally declared war against Germany in September of 1939. Like, what a moment to witness. Wild. Kennedy affectionately referred to Harold Macmillan, the British Prime Minister, for the majority of the duration of his time in office as Uncle Harold, and the two did actually share tedious family links. Macmillan's wife, Lady Dorothy, was the aunt of Kathleen Kennedy's husband, the Marquess of Hardington. I feel like the Kennedys have so many familial links to so many people, so it's just always interesting to read about that. In the first nine months of Kennedy's presidency, he met with Macmillan nine times, which is twice more than any other world leader. In total, they met at least a dozen times, and this kind of like highlights that close personal relationship between the POTUS and the Prime Minister, as well as the importance of this special relationship. So I'm going to insert a clip right here of President Kennedy and Harold Macmillan's remarks after a meeting. We, uh... I'm delighted that I had a chance to see him again after our very satisfactory talk in uh, Florida. Each one of our meetings, I think, have increased the degree of cohesion which exists and must exist between his country and the United States. And therefore, I must say, as these talks come to a conclusion, I think I express the sentiment of all of the Americans who participated that uh, our great appreciation to the Prime Minister, to his Secretary of State, uh, Lord Hume, and to the other delegates for uh, another happy milestone in the long series which have existed, of meetings existed between the United States and Great Britain in previous years. Prime Minister. A happy visit. And I'm delighted that we've been able, in your own words, to make a friendship both private and public 
which I feel certain will be good for both our countries and for the future of all the free world. You, Mr. President, have shown me in particular so many acts of kindness in these days that I really hardly know how to thank you. It has been quite a, an experience over the last ten days. I came to lunch with you at Key West, 3,600 miles altogether. A very good lunch it was, though. <laughs> uh, and then, come a week after here, you've given me helicopters and every possible convenience, taken me by boating uh, uh, and, and everything. But the point is, we've had just that friendly talks, sometimes in private and sometimes with our collaborators, which is the basis of confidence. That, I hope and feel, is established between us, and on that friendship, I trust that we shall long be able to work for the benefit of our countries and for all the world. At the request of President Kennedy, Macmillan appointed David Ormsby Gore, an old friend who JFK had met playing golf in the 1930s, as the British ambassador to the U.S., President Kennedy took inspiration from Macmillan in a political context, like, for example, his proposed policy of cutting taxes to stimulate economic growth, which was actually rejected by Congress, was first implemented in the UK. And JFK depended heavily on the advice and support of Harold Macmillan during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the two leaders maintained regular contact throughout the 13 days of the crisis. Macmillan encouraged Kennedy not to launch a full-scale military invasion, and his invaluable support was acknowledged by the president in a wire, which read, Your heartening support publicly expressed and our daily conversations have been of inestimable value in these past few days. In the following year, Macmillan joined Kennedy in signing the Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty in 1963. Macmillan also supported Kennedy's foreign policy in Berlin, and he was prepared to provide military support to the U.S. in Laos although this did not ever materialize. At the Nassau summit, Kennedy affirmed the U.S.'s commitment to the U.K.-U.S. alliance by agreeing to continue to provide the U.K. with its own independent nuclear deterrent, despite objections from his own senior staff. And this included Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara. Which, by the way, we had an episode on Robert McNamara very recently, so go listen if you haven't yet. Also, Kennedy had positive relationships with other British prime ministers. For example, he described Winston Churchill, who he often quoted and imitated as the greatest man he had ever met, and the most honored and honorable man to walk the stage of human history in the time in which we live. And as many of us know, Churchill was clearly an inspiration for Kennedy, both personally and politically, and his campaign for the presidency was centered around the anti-appeasement rhetoric, which had first been projected by Churchill throughout the 1930s. In 1963, he granted honorary U.S. citizenship to Churchill, though the former prime minister could not attend the ceremony in person due to health issues. And so the honor was accepted on his behalf by his son, Randolph. Also, Churchill is said to have wept as he watched the television coverage of Kennedy's assassination. Now, we've talked about this before, but we obviously cannot leave this out of this episode. Also, I really like the episode that we have about President Miss Kennedy meeting the Queen and Prince Philip. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen. I think it's titled like What the Crown Got Right and Wrong because the Crown like kind of over-dramatized some of it. So it's an interesting one. Go check it out. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a long time since anyone landed in London for a welcome both official and unofficial as big as this. According to protocol, the arrival of President Kennedy and his wife from Vienna follows the set pattern. Premier Macmillan there to greet them, the machinery of news, the long walk from the aircraft among the gold braid. But although the drill is as stereotyped as a minuet, there's more to it than that. For one of the two most powerful men in the world has just come from meeting the other one. And to everyone's delight, including Lady Dorothy McMillan's, he has brought his wife, Jackie. In June 1961, Jack and Jackie, as well as Jackie's sister Lee and brother-in-law Stash Radswell, who would not have traditionally been invited to this because of their status as divorcees, but they attended a banquet at Buckingham Palace. President Kennedy presented the Queen and Prince Philip with a signed picture of himself in a Tiffany's frame. In the afternoon of Monday, June 5th, the crowds gathered to watch the arrival of President and Mrs. Kennedy, the first time a U.S. president was to call at Buckingham Palace since President Woodrow Wilson came here in December 1918. The crowd surged forward for a look at President and Mrs. Kennedy as they arrived for a private dinner at the palace with Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. Later that evening, still in the formal clothes he wore for the dinner at Buckingham Palace, Prime Minister Macmillan accompanied President Kennedy to the airport. U.S. Ambassador to London, David Bruce, was the last to shake hands with the President, who was now on his way back to Washington. For Mr. Kennedy, it had been a long journey. It had been part of the task he had set for himself on becoming President of the United States to begin anew the search for peace. Fast forward from that, JFK's final visit to the UK took place in June of 1963. During this visit, he attended the Sussex Summit, during which he engaged in political discussions with Harold Macmillan. Also, the United Kingdom was represented at President Kennedy's funeral by Prince Philip and Alec Douglas Home, who was the Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, leader of the Labour Party, and Joe Grimmond, leader of the Liberal Party. President Kennedy's legacy lives on in the UK as there are several memorials to him there. Among these are the Kennedy bust located in London, the Mosaic Memorial in Birmingham, and the John F. Kennedy Memorial at Runnymede, which was designed by Sir Geoffrey Jellicoe and dedicated by the late Queen Elizabeth II in the presence of Bobby, Teddy, Jackie, Eunice, Caroline John Jr., Dean Rusk, Harold Macmillan, and Harold Wilson. There could not be a site more fitting to dedicate to a great apostle of freedom. Lord Harlick escorted the Queen, the Duke, Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy. On Portland Stone, guarded now by two sailors, one American and one British, are inscribed sentences from the inaugural address of John F. Kennedy that rang across the world in January 1961, only a little more than four years ago. He was the youngest elected president. Already he seemed destined to be numbered among the very greatest. And in the flower of his political youth, fate struck him down. 
The British government of that day resolved to establish here a memorial to be at Runnymede for centuries to come. Presented to Her Majesty were persons closely connected with the memorial appeal. The little Kennedy children took every eye. Then their mother, that fascinatingly compelling woman who with quite superb courage remains uncrushed by adversity most cruel. The ceremony of inauguration was simply planned. Tributes to the late president were to be paid by Mr. Macmillan, the Prime Minister, the Queen and Mr. Dean Rusk. In complete command of herself, Jacqueline Kennedy showed no sign of an ordeal such as few women could have undergone without betraying emotion. The Archbishop of Canterbury was on the platform. The Queen herself now came to take her place. Her Majesty struck the note that was in everybody's mind. How fitting that this was taking place at Runnymede. Here at Runnymede, 750 years ago, Magna Carta was signed. Among our earliest statutes, it has rightly been regarded as the cornerstone of those liberties which later became enshrined in our system of democratic government under the rule of law. This is a part of the heritage which the people of the United States of America share with us. Therefore, it is altogether fitting that this should be the site of Britain's memorial to the late President John F. Kennedy. This acre of English soil is now bequeathed in perpetuity to the American people in memory of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy who in death my people still mourn, and whom in life they loved and admired. Again escorted by Lord Harlick, chairman of the trustees, the Queen passed by the memorial stone. It was ineffably tragic that so young a president of such immense potential should have been assassinated. This world is not so rich in men of commanding power that it can afford the loss of one so abundantly endowed. John F. Kennedy belonged to one nation, yet was for all the world, to one age, and was for all time. I was listening to another podcast recently, and there's a clip of President Johnson offering for Jackie to use one of the presidential planes to travel to London for the dedication at Runnymede, along with all of her family and stuff. So I'm going to actually insert a clip of that, too, here. You just started heading south fast as you could. <laughs> Are you got any sunshine down there? Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, I just... Oh, Oh, I'm harassed to death, and I don't know whether I'm going to survive or not, but I may go to the weekend anyway. Well, everything just wonderful. Well, with the well thank you, dear. I uh, wanted to, uh, I just heard that uh, the uh, you were going to probably go to uh, uh, the memorial to the president, uh, Magna Carta at Runnymede, and I wanted to... Uh, suggest that if you cared to that you and your party take uh, one of the 707s and uh, 
I thought I might ask uh, Bobby and Teddy if they wanted to go to represent uh, me along with the Secretary of State Chief Justice, who are already going to be over there. And uh, you might want to take any other members of the family or anybody in the party you wanted to. And if you should, uh, if you would care to do that, the plane would be at your disposal in your direction any time you wanted to. I told Teddy, and I couldn't get you. And Bobby's not available, but I'll tell him when he comes back. In other words, I, the government would be represented by uh, uh, Bobby and Teddy and Chief Justice and uh, uh, Rust. They're going to be over there anyway. The ones to go with you would be uh, whoever you want to take in your own party. And if you'd like to do that, you just uh, uh, let me know, and I'll have it all set up for you. And uh, it'll be at your disposal whenever you want it for whatever time you want it. Wasting taxpayers' money. No, no, it's not at all. It's very important to us and very important to the country. And uh, uh, you, uh, you just uh, let me know how you feel after you have a chance to think about it. Oh, listen, I just don't know what to say. You don't say anything. It's the nicest thing I ever heard of. But during this dedication, the Queen acknowledged President Kennedy's strong ties to the United Kingdom. The stone memorial is inscribed with an excerpt from JFK's inaugural address. In addition to the physical memorials, scholarships to Harvard University and MIT for British graduates were established in Kennedy's name, and the first Kennedy scholars traveled to the U.S. in 1966. Such scholarships were described as something that President Kennedy, my brother, would have valued very highly by Ted Kennedy. Also, I'd like to note the Queen did clearly respect President Kennedy because she ordered flags to fly at half-mast and the bells to toll at Westminster when she learned of his death. So that's what I've got for you today. That's it. I hope that you enjoyed this and learned as much as I did from it. It was very interesting to me. Of course, as always, there's always more to learn, always more to take away from these episodes and go research yourself. So if you find anything new or something interesting about this subject, please send it to me in my DMs on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty, or you can email me at podcast at KennedyDynasty.com. Don't forget about our merch shop, y'all. There are some amazing sweatshirts, and somebody made one of my favorite story posts of all time recently. Thank you. Shout out. She posted a photo in the Highness Port sweatshirt that I have and said that it's the sweatshirt of the summer, and I could not agree more. So go get your own. I'll link it directly, actually, in the description of this episode. It's cozy, it's comfortable, it's vintage looking, and it's got some Kennedy flair, so how can you not love? I'm about to record an interview coming up in a couple days, which I'm so excited to share with you guys next week, so be on the lookout for that. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss when an episode becomes available. Also, back to Instagram. Follow me there, guys. I'm doing some kind of cool stuff lately that I'm super honored to be a part of, and I keep it pretty updated with what's going on over there. So follow at Kennedy Dynasty if you don't yet, and if you don't use Instagram, make an account. Super easy, and just to follow me. It'd be great. I'd appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. 
In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.